Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Here's what's on tap today. First, I'm going to talk about Joe Buck. It's a very busy October for him. He's crushing it as always. In my mind, the most underappreciated announcer in all of sports gets better with age. Had a classic call last night for a very exciting Packers Cardinals game. We'll be at game three of the World Series later tonight. We'll do a great job. Then you're going to get my thoughts on what I consider to be the worst annual tradition, the column of playoff baseball taking too long to play. Spoiler alert, I don't much care for it. Kind of just want to have some fun watching baseball, appreciate the sport for what it is, and try to write for an audience that has some joy in their hearts. You're going to get those takes, and then I'm going to speak with Eduardo Perez. He is calling the World Series for ESPN Radio. We talked about what's going on between the lines. And then we also spoke a little bit about the opportunity to broadcast the fall classic, the opportunities that radio present over television and what it's like to be there in that moment performing with all that pressure. I'm feeling good. I'm nervous about the Michigan, Michigan state game, but let's jump right into it. Like an overworked and underappreciated CPA in early spring, This is Joe Buck's crazy time of the year. There's Sunday afternoon football, Thursday night football. Those he calls on the rare off day between American League Championship or World Series games. He's ubiquitous on Fox, essentially the human version of leaving a television on long enough to have the logo imprint on plasma. It's exceedingly impressive every year and repetition has dulled the masses to the degree of difficulty. Plus, Buck continues to be unfairly criticized despite posting a multi-decade run at the top of the field, or perhaps because of it. Whatever reason leads people to miss the clear greatness in real time is a shame because they're missing a hell of a called ball game out there. Consider the fact Buck has been working nonstop for a few weeks, flying all over the country, juggling bats, balls, and pigskins. Consider his John out to the desert came after game two of the fall classic, and was an exceedingly quick turnaround. Then consider the energy, poise, and professionalism he put forth during last night's Packers-Cardinals game. Capped by a pitch-perfect explosion when Green Bay's Rasul Douglas picked off a Kyler Murray pass, putting a wrap on proceedings. Buck absolutely nailed it. He brought the emotion to an unexpected level, and he was quick to identify Douglas, an unexpected hero who three weeks prior had been on Arizona's practice squad. Of all possible names, Douglas's was far down the depth chart before sports happened and he thrust himself into the spotlight with some help from a confused A.J. Green. Contrast the clutchness shown by Douglas and Buck with what happened on the Packers' home radio, 
where Rasul Butler was mentioned in a misguided attempt to remember some guys. And that's not to pick on Wayne Larravee. It's to show just how hard the job of reacting in real time can be. It's the exact type of moment that might force an error for Buck, a broadcaster perpetually on the road and inundated with last names, and trying to remember what city he is in currently. Instead, he rose to the moment and matched the shocked excitement while getting all the facts and figures in order. This is the time of year Buck proves he's as good as any in the field and does things no one else either has the leverage or confidence to do. Tonight brings Game 3 of the World Series in Atlanta. And if long history is any indicator, another call fitting of the biggest stage. Why would anyone think the world wants another column observing that playoff baseball games are long? How can sports writers with the largest platforms and carte blanche to write off anything happening in the World Series sit down at their computers and write the same goddamn thing that's been written hundreds of times before with the names and dates and lengths updated? Is it a lazy habit? Is it some sort of addiction? More importantly, if you're the sixth person of the year to point out that playoff baseball can sometimes take four hours to complete and often finishes after midnight, are you doing it because it's the topic that inspires personal passion? Or are you doing it because you think that's what an audience wants to hear? Because if it's a latter, it might be worth considering that audience is lame and has long ago been satiated by previous protestations that people watch baseball for 40 minutes longer than you think they should have on their own time. We're all on the same page already. It isn't a revelation to point out that it takes a bit longer come October to find a winner. That's part and parcel of every single pitch potentially having intense meaning. And managers crossing their T's and dotting their I's, making sure they make the right decisions. And players taking an extra deep breath or two before discovering if the past six or seven months of their life have been building to the ultimate high or the deepest disappointment. The pauses are not a bug. They are a feature. They are the quietness in which the storm grows. The tension builds toward release and everyone is cursed and blessed by the ability to think, which is an increasingly small window of opportunity in our lives. Who are these pieces for? Not for those who like the sport, because if you like something, why would you want less of it? Conversely, if you don't like something, why would slightly less of it suddenly make you a fan? And do you think if all playoff games magically concluded in two hours and 40 minutes, the authors of these concern trolling columns would even notice, let alone appreciate an improved difference? I'm not sure. In years I can stomach it, there's always the requisite response column for yours truly in which I point out these same things. They all amount to the same basic principle, distilled down to this. Playoff baseball games are long. Get over it. And this will become newly relevant again next postseason when the cycle rears its ugly head again. It'll be the definition of insanity because nothing will change. At a certain point, America's national pastime switched from baseball to floating ideas to fix baseball. And it's been a really bad trade. Writing about what you don't like about baseball is not as fun or rewarding as writing about what you do like. 
It's confusing to me why so many are committed to the negativity. One wonders if it's completely earnest or if it's an example of outsourced ideas to the squeakiest social media complainers. This is anecdotal evidence, but I can only live one life. I've talked a tremendous amount of baseball in my real life with expert audiences, novices, and those who wouldn't look up from their phone if they sat in front of a game for four hours. Never once has any person mentioned the length of games as being a problem. Thinking back, it seems as though all of that conversation has originated from media types who want to put on their wise knower of things hats and sound like unfun human versions of an Axios story. Length of baseball game talk is like the deviant cousin of ratings talk. It's a giant buzzkill and the people enjoying the games don't give a damn about it. So consider this a plea to end the insanity and this column idea forever. It's nothing more than a giant cell phone and the writer comes off as a joyless crank. There are more than enough of those speaking for the sport already. And now as we welcome in Eduardo Perez from ESPN, he is on the radio call for the World Series. He's my favorite KBO announcer. You're in Atlanta, right? Game three is tonight. The series is even. It can go any way. The city of Atlanta has had more than its fair share of disappointment on the big stage in sports. It's been a long time since the Braves have been in the World Series. Obviously, the Falcons lost the Super Bowl in heartbreaking fashion. What is the mood of the fans there on the ground? I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot of Atlanta Brave fans, and I think the mood is what the ticket sales tell you it is. And it is a secondary market is ridiculous here right now in, in Atlanta. And that's the reality. You see, you know, Houston's made it three out of the last five years. So it's like, yeah, you know, I'll go. If not, I'll watch it on TV. But for the for the average Atlanta fan, and it spreads out thanks to what Ted Turner did years, decades ago with TBS, um, there's, 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 there's a long... Uh, list of fans and and they're coming in and they're coming in in droves and our hotel right now is is you see them all checking in and all they're hoping for is that it doesn't rain on game two uh three of the world series and that they're able to play because they've been waiting for this moment for quite some time and and you know what's really cool i had dinner last night um i, I like the name drop i don't know if you know this or not about me but i had dinner last night with uh andrew jones and he, he was just as excited as any other Atlanta Brave fan uh, about the World Series coming back to Atlanta and, and you know, just watching and seeing what their outfielders have been doing and, and how they've been playing the game and, and confident that Ian Anderson uh, tonight could, uh, could be a, a major factor. There is a nice bit of nostalgia with the Braves back in it. It takes me back to my time learning to – enjoy major league baseball with that pitching staff like Andrew Jones the home runs in the world series I still remember that when he was 19 years old what have you seen so far through two games that surprised you if anything just the way you know so far if you look at it it's been the first inning the first inning more than anything and the first inning for the Braves in game one that you know you score first you win and uh the same thing happened for uh, for the Houston Astros, Jose Altuve gets on with a double, then sack fly. Next thing you know, uh, you know they move him over via the uh, Tim Kirchin fascinated by sac- sacrifice flies book, and all of a sudden they're able to score with the bottom half of the lineup in the second inning, 
those four runs. But these teams, teams that are really good defensively all throughout the season, we've noticed that it's the defensive mistakes right now that have cost them the games. And uh, I just think it's a, it's a different level of baseball. It's different pressure. And, and that's one thing that I've noticed is any little thing that you give, any advantage that you give your opponent so far here, uh, they've been able to take advantage in a major way. And, and the Astros did it in game two, and the, and the Braves did it in game one. You mentioned the defense, and with the series shifting over to a National League ballpark, it's going to force the Astros to retool their outfield alignment tonight. It seems like an acceptable risk because you got to get Jordan Alvarez's bat in the lineup. But I wanted to ask you as a player, the difference between playing defense in a huge pressure packed game versus the pressure hitting, where do you feel it more? Is it in the outfield or in the, in the infield because you have more time to think about making a mistake, whereas hitting is largely reacting. And I'll tell you this, and I'm going to be straight up with you. I always felt pressure playing defense. I wasn't the best Kyle. I really wasn't. I wasn't the best at defense, but one thing that I was, that I noticed is, especially with the Houston Astros, they're going to have Alvarez in left field. Um, and they're going to have Brantley in right. They're going to have Tucker in center. And Tucker played four games in center field. And Brantley played eight games in right field. And Alvarez, he played 41. But when he played, it was usually with pitchers that were ground ball pitchers. If, if you look at it that way, Valdez, 70% ground ball rate. So there's not a lot of pressure in the outfield for that. Um, and McCullers, when he was healthy, he would go out there and he'd play left field again because he's a ground ball pitcher. But right now, these aren't ground ball pitchers. They're going to have to position themselves well, and they're playing an outfield that they never played before. And most likely, because it's been raining out there all day and it's windy, they're not going to be able to take even a chance to get any fly balls at all at Truist Ballpark. So it could play a major factor, not only with the routes, but also with the communication. Tucker's going to have to take over in center field. He's going to have to communicate well with Alvarez. How many times have those two guys been paired up together? I'm not too concerned with Brantley as much as I am with the communication of Alvarez and Tucker. Yeah, there's a long tradition of people being forced into a different role in the World Series. I live in Michigan, and it's still legend that Mickey Stanley, the swap between center field and, and shortstop, and at this time of year, you got to do anything that's required in, in order to win. Uh, I want to shift over to Jose Altuve, who has 22 postseason homers in 75 games. And the question is this, if Houston remains a dynasty or he catches on somewhere else, is it possible that he's going to retire the most accomplished offensive player in MLB history? Because if you look at the home run numbers, he's second all time. He's done it in a much shorter period than either Derek Jeter or Bernie Williams. He's, tra he's trailing Manny Ramirez, I believe at the top, but Altuve yeah, has yeah. a lot of, he has a lot of years ahead of him. And to do 22 home runs in 75 games, if this was happening in the regular season, it would be the story in baseball. This is the hottest hitter. What are your impressions of him when he steps in the box? Because it seems as though he just has an incredible presence despite being the smallest player on the field. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I've had this conversation with Dusty Baker also, and I, I've told him, I said, man, little man with big pop, you know, and I saw him in 2013. I was his bench coach in 2013. So I've had a relationship with Jose. And one thing that he is, is confident when he gets in that box, he wants to swing the bat. He's not going to walk his way to first, most likely, if you throw anything in the area, first pitch, he dominates that first pitch real well. You're right about the 22 home runs. 
tied with Bernie Williams right now. Um, if you look at it, second um, uh, second behind Manny Ramirez is 29. Uh, but it's also what he creates on the bases. And I think that's what's important. For Jose Altuve and the Houston Astros to be successful, and I know we're talking about an individual right now, but Jose would be really mad at me if I don't mention the team aspect of this, is that he has to score runs. And sometimes being on base, creating pressure, changing the pitcher's timing, him being concerned about if he's going to steal, is he going to go first to third if I allow a base hit to right field or to center field? That puts so much pressure on a pitcher that eventually he has to know, and Dusty Baker has talked to me about this, that his role is that. Do we take the home runs, he says. And that's Dusty Baker. Absolutely, we take the home runs. But he has to understand that he's still not that power hitter that, yes, has 22 home runs, but he has to be able to score runs. And so far in his postseason career, we're looking at 66 runs scored for Jose Altuve. Even though he's behind seven to Manny Ramirez, he's just one shy of tying Ramirez for third of that. And then again, Altuve's total bases, you look at it, is one is shy of uh, tying Albert Pujols for four in a postseason history. So many things that Altuve provides. But I love the Houston Astros when Altuve is on base. Give me Altuve hitting home run or Altuve on base. I'll take Altuve on base because it makes everybody behind him better. Well, you know, everybody kind of like laughs off the idea that home runs are rally killers. And when that quote stands alone, they are make a lot of sense. <laughs> well, you're exactly right. I can, t- I tell you this and I can tell you as someone who is a pitcher, I'd rather give up a home run and have it be over than have a bunch of pressure packed pitches. Solo home runs. You'd rather give up solo home runs. Exactly. I'm, I'm with you on that. If they're solo and you look at the star pitchers, the guys that do give up the home run, the long ball, Max Scherzer, Justin Berlander, um, and not this year, obviously, because it was hurt. But when you look at the total home runs that they give up, they give them up with solo shots because they want to make sure that they don't walk a guy. If you're going to hit a home run, it's a solo shot. Who cares? I'd rather pitch from the windup than the stretch. The Astros obviously play for each other really well. Five straight trips to the ALCS. Like you said, where Altuve, it's important for him to be on base and it's a, it's a total team effort. But if you look at the Braves since losing Ronald Acuna, they've been the best in baseball and they strike me as a team that is the sum of all its parts. I've been trying really hard to figure out who they remind me of. So I'm hoping you can help me with some comps from, from years past. Uh, they seem like they have a really good tight fabric, but I mean, it is a tremendous accomplishment to get significantly better when your best player is unable to be on the roster. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's really tough, uh, but you know, it's, it's what's, what's ahead. You have to look ahead. I remember Jack McKeon who managed um, us uh, when I was playing for the Cincinnati Reds and then I was coaching for um, the, my, the Florida Marlins at the time, not the Miami Marlins, but the Florida Marlins at the time. And he would say, he goes, you're on the DL, not the IL, but you're on the DL. You know what? You're better off going, you're better off showing up early, leaving early because you do us no good right here. You remind us of what we could be instead of what we are. And um, I thought it was such a, a really good point. And the Atlanta Braves uh, without the, you know, their, their start you can say the same thing for the Houston Astros. 
who are they? They have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, we have to do our part. The bullpen guys have to do their part. The starters have to go through the lineup if it's twice because that's the way the game is played now. If they're able to do that, yeah, they're going to miss the guys that aren't there, but they can still accomplish something special without them. I want to ask you a few questions about your role in the booth. What opportunities does radio present for you as an analyst that you might not get on television that you enjoy? Okay, so it, it, it kind of made me laugh a little bit because earlier on you asked a question about um, players asked to have different roles. And we're seeing with Alvarez in the outfield and, you know, if it's Brantley and Wright and all that. Well, you know, it's the same thing here. I'm asked to have a different role. Um, at the end of the day, it is as the color analyst, you know, along with Jess Mendoza here for the, for the World Series. And, and it's about being able to, to fill in um, as Dan Schulman traces in what and, and interprets what's going on on the field. We sort of just bring that a little bit more to life and give you a little bit more of the inside of, of if the defense is playing back, if it's in, if you should have thrown the third or first, if you should have gone home. Um, uh, just And Jess is really good when it comes to uh, the swinging technique and the approach and the outfielders' routes and all that. And I really love the fact of knowing where the game is going. Not so much telling you what has already happened, because I believe in a three-person booth as we are now here in the World Series, it's easy to just fall back and say, let's talk about what happened. But I want to also involve you, the, the listener at home, in, into what could happen. Maybe these are the choices that each manager or coach has or even player has. And if I can see that from the viewpoint that I'm in, um, I want to treat it like if I'm talking to my best friend, eating a hot dog and a beer in one hand and saying, you know, this is, this is what I think should happen right here. This is what could happen, or this is the pitch that he should throw. And this is why I'm not just going to tell you what should happen without giving you the why. And there's like a dance to all of this because Dan also has to explain to you what's going on on that pitch. So we'll sometimes break right before the pitch and then continue that conversation. I think it's such a great dynamic. Um, I'll tell you one thing, though. One thing that I, that, that I do and I am aware of is because I want our listeners to be a part of this. I'm aware of our listeners that are tweeting to us, hey, could you explain to us this? If we can get to it, I think this is where we're at right now. It's not, you know, it's 100 years rich history of being able to listen to radio. And because we're listening to radio and because we fell in love all our lives listening to radio, I think it is, uh, I, I think it is so important for us to understand uh, what exactly it means to all of us. You're right about that because it's the most intimate of mediums, um, you know, and for me, the memories of baseball games that I heard on the radio, they stick out more uh, than TV. And it is nice to get in your car, to drive around and to, and to tap into that. I can't tell you how many times uh, in October I'm, I'm driving home late from something. I catch a game. And I'm like, I cannot wait to just hear this inning and a half because it's just like, they're going to transport me They're They're going to take me. That's really cool. And that's really forward thinking on your part to understand that it is a conversation. 
Vince Scully, and it always I always remember, I grew up listening to 700 WOW with Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxoff. But I remember Jim, um, uh, when, when Scully, uh, Vinny, uh, Vince Scully would say, radio means freedom. He goes, you have the radio on and you can paint the garage. With television, it's a commitment. Radio is your associate. You know, you have it with you. You're listening while you're doing something else. Television, you're saying, you're the boss. I can't leave you while you're on. So all those things, that just being able to have that freedom to take a jog. I'm going to do something else, but I'm still listening to the emotions and, and, uh, and, and everything else about the game. That's why radios lasted over a hundred years. And I think related to that, that's what people miss about the sport of baseball is that it's perfectly suited for me as a father to put my kids to bed and miss two or three innings and then catch up. It's fine. You don't have to watch every single pitch. You can come in and you can come out and you can establish whatever relationship you want with it. And it, it, to me, you're exactly right. You hit the, you hit the nail on the head when you said freedom, it's the freedom of an 162 game season. Well, maybe I'm going to be able to watch a hundred games, maybe 80, maybe only 40, but you want to know what, for that time, I'm going to enjoy it. And it's going to fit into my life the way I want it to fit instead of kind of tailoring my entire existence around it. No doubt. No doubt. I, I think that again, uh, I think we're talking and we're speaking the same thing. Um, and we, we have that ability and, and now just, you know, I, I do a lot of work for XM also and, and MLB network radio and just the ability of going on the app and being able to, to listen to games and, and go back to it. And I love the fact I really do when, you're watching a game and all of a sudden one of the cameramen go into the stands and there, there is, there's a gentleman maybe holding a transistor radio to his ear, not even headphones or anything like that. How cool is that, that you're listening, you're watching, and it's still, we're, we're in 2021 and we're still seeing that. And I think this is why radio will continue um, to stay strong throughout because it's, it's, it's built in us. You know, that's the way we picture our heroes from the past. And um, I think that's the way it will be also pictured in the future. What's it like to perform in the World Series? Because we know the pressure that's, that the players are feeling. We can feel it in our stomach. It gets in knots as fans if we don't have any agency over it. But at the end of the day, you are being asked to perform a role and to do it competently and to do it well. Do you feel that in the moment at all? Does anything change this time of year? Uh, do you feel like you need to be extra sharp? What's your approach come World Series? I definitely, I definitely feel that I have to be as sharp as I can, and I owe it. Um, not, you know, I, the the people that I owe it to is uh, first and foremost is our producer and, and Dan Schulman and, and and again Just Mendoza because I know they're going to be prepared, and I have to be on top of my game as well. And it's a dance that I have to put my shoes on. I have to put my dancing shoes on and I have to make sure that I don't step on any of their toes. And it's okay not to agree with maybe what Jess says or what I say. It's okay for Jess not to agree with what I say. I think it brings it that it brings in that debate factor. Think about how many times you, the listener, has been talking to the radio or talking to the person saying, Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? There's no way. Let us know. I'm okay with that. I love debate. I think it's really important. I think right now, Mrs. Alfont, back in my 
uh, 11th grade class when I took the bait, I think she'd be proud of it. Um, it's, I go back to always knowing that this game is going to outlast all of us. So I respect the game in a major way. I was born into the game. When I was born, my dad was already in the big leagues. He was established for a couple of years. Um, it's what put food on our table. It's what, what gave us clothes on our, back, our clothes on our back. So I get all of that and I respect it to the utmost. Um, and I always, always will demand as much from myself as I demand from the players when they're playing the game uh, at this high level. When you kind of reflect on your career to this point as a broadcaster, how does it feel to get the call to do the games on the biggest stage? Is it something that you thought was possible when you first decided you might want to embark on it? Oh man, are you kidding me? This for me, this is, um, this is huge. Uh, th this to be able to call a game on radio, to call postseason games on TV, if it's the wild card um, with uh, the stack cast uh, and, and everything, to me, it is, it's a privilege. And, and, and I understand that and I respect that. To call the ALCS championship uh, game, uh, to call the World Series now with Dan um, and, and Jess, uh, to me, I, I, I cherish this just as much as if I would have been playing and gone to the big leagues. Uh, it's, it's what I've worked for. Uh, it's what I wanted to do for many years, uh, for the later years of my career, I was wondering how am I going to be able to get to a level where I can go to the all-star game and maybe call a home run derby. Um, I've had the privilege of being able to call, call it in three different languages. I called it, uh, with Ernesto Jerez in Miami in Spanish. I called it in DC, um, uh, with uh, Mike Petriello and Jason Benetti, I call that a different language, the StatCast language. And then this year I was able to call the Home Run Derby on E1 with Carl Ravage. Um, I look back and I, you know, I pinch myself, but I'm not satisfied I, because there's so much to be done. And um, the only way to do it is to continue to work hard on your craft and to continue to learn how to be able to give that message to the fan better. I always feel there's something better that one can be done. It's um, even though you might have a great broadcast, there's always something there that you're like, I could have done this. I could have said this, or I could have just waited a second longer to let the fans say it for me. Yeah. All of us are in real trouble. If uh, we stop, wanting to improve and find ways no doubt. to get better because that's, that just causes atrophy. Um, I'm not going to ask you to make any predictions about who's going to win these three Thank games. Thank you. But <laughs> what do the Braves need to do to take control of the series? And what do the Astros need to do to take control of the series? For the, for the Astros, I think it's simple. They need to be able to make sure Truist Ballpark stays pretty silent. And that's going to be hard to do. They've, the Braves have played really well here. They haven't lost in five games here in the postseason. They are they pitch well. They hit well. They keep their fans into the game. And the first inning, I think, is going to be major for the Houston Astros. If they're able to not just score one run but put a crooked number up early, it could 
really just neutralize a little bit of that of that fan base. If they're not, I think the fan base is going to play a major role in the success of Ian Anderson tonight. On the Braves standpoint, I think it has to it has to go with the long ball. I think the the Braves are, are a team that they can beat you in so many ways, but here in their ballpark, I think the home run is going to play big for them. Uh, it's it's a, it's a lineup that is that is deep, a lineup that is very consistent. We've seen what Eddie Rosario has been able to do so far in the postseason, but there is there there is a factor of being able to score crooked numbers on their end via the long ball. And Freddie Freeman is, has to be has to be a major part of that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.